I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the Curzon Film Podcast. In this episode, we're joined by Scott Z. Burns, whose fiery interrogation of American torture reports for duty. And just like magic, one of the strangest true tales of the year, the amazing Jonathan documentary pops into cinemas for a blink and you'll miss it a bit. I'm the amazing Jake Cunningham podcast host. And this week, making her debut, is the amazing Nicole Davis podcast guest. Hello, Nicole. Hello, Jake. And we also have the amazing Kelly Powell podcast guest. Hello. And we have Sam Howlett. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, thanks. You right? Yeah. yeah, enjoy that one. Uh, Nicole, it's lovely to have you with us. Um, we're bringing Nicole over from the Best Girl Grip pod. Uh, Nicole, tell us a little bit about your show. Yeah, so it's been going for almost a year now. I started it in January and I interview women behind the scenes of the British film industry. So they'll be doing jobs that you might not have heard of and you might not know what they're about, whether that's in distribution, marketing or on set, producers demystifying what it is they actually do um, with the hopes that the future generation can use it as a resource for how to get into the film industry. And that is why we brought you on for this week, where we're talking about two films directed by men. <laughs> exactly. <No>. Perfect. <laughs> I will say that you, you, you messaged me to say that you wanted to talk about the report. I uh, did. And we look forward to talking about it in just a second. Um, this one is about Daniel Jones, who's played by Adam Driver. He's tasked by Senator Dianne Feinstein, that's Annette Benning, with delivering a definitive report on the CIA's use of torture after 9-11. What he uncovers will shake America, but under constant threat from the US security forces, will their publication of the six and a half thousand page report actually bring change? Now, we should quickly get up to speed on the director, Scott Z. Burns, who is a name attached with a lot of big films, but people may not actually know him. One of those kind of people. This is his uh, set, his first feature film, uh, second feature, did one for TV. Um, but he's been on the Bourne films, Contagion, Side Effects, recently wrote The Laundromat, uh, also attached to No Time to Die, the James Bond film that's out next year. Um, Sam, what do we expect from a Zed Burns picture? From a Zed Burns picture, we expect uh, a lot of intricacy, a lot of details, uh, lots and lots of heavy, dense dialogue, um, but delivered in a way that doesn't feel heavy or dense. Uh, a lot of 
sort of following loads of different characters, uh, sort of unraveling of conspiracy. He's very uh, politically minded, I think, as well. His works deal with the world of politics a lot. Mm. Um, he also produced uh, an inconvenient truth. <clears throat> interestingly, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's very into conspiracy theories and politics and. He's saying global warming is a conspiracy theory. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I th- it's interesting you talk about this this kind of dense, wordy yeah. dialogue because the director we most associate with is Steven Soderbergh. And if we look at The Laundromat, the most recent film yeah. that he released, uh, so Scott Z. Burns is on the script there, but Soderbergh is like bringing Las Vegas to that one. That is party, 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 everywhere you look, colour, bouncing around, yes. music, everything. And... This is perhaps not what we're getting with this one, would you say, Nicole? Not at all. It's it's funny that they're kind of they're like sister films that are coming out um, at the same time because it feels like Zed Burns channeled all his all his flamboyance into the laundromat and then really like dialed it down for the report. Um, so it's interesting that he can do both. Um, I find him quite a hit and miss writer. Um, some what are the I, hits? Uh, I really enjoyed uh, Born Ultimatum. I think that's mm. you know a really strong franchise and it ends on a really really strong note. Um, I didn't like Contagion, didn't like side effects, um, but the report and the laundromat I did enjoy. And it, we, earlier we were just saying that maybe we didn't, but I quite, I quite like it as a piece of writing. Maybe, do, maybe it doesn't work as a piece of cinema, but in terms of disseminating lots of different topics, I think it works well. Yeah, maybe, maybe the goal in this one is kind of shackling, oh, de-shackling that Soderbergh mm. identity. Soderbergh is very much someone who Shows puts himself off. in. I think showing and not showing off might be unfair, but he's someone that wants you to be very aware that you're watching a film. He sort of changes the colour of different scenes, the camera's all over the place, the editing's all over the place. He's very sure. I mean, he's not always like that, but often I think Soderbergh likes to experiment, whereas this film is very sober, very straight to the point, very much like like. Uh, like his lead character Dan Jones very someone who's interested in the facts like this is what happened here it is in chronological order with some flashbacks but it's all about the details and all, and all about the truth so it's a sober Berg <laughs> yes it's a sober Berg yeah. nice okay and uh, Sam you spoke to the excellent Mr Burns <laughs> I did speak to the excellent Mr. Burns. Uh, we spoke about why uh, this story was the one that became his first uh, feature film. We spoke about his relationship with Steven Soderbergh, uh, why he picked Adam Driver and Annette Benning for their roles. And uh, if you want a little bit of a visual uh, accompaniment to this interview, I'd say Scott Z. Burns looks like a sort of uh, rather hench uh, Stanley Tucci. <laughs> And on that image, here is uh, Sam and Scott Z. Burns. We're delighted to welcome Scott Z. Burns to the Curzon Podcast. Hello. Hi. Thanks for being here. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Uh, congratulations on the film. Um, thank you. Thanks um, very much. So this is your first sort of theatrical big feature film as a director. Why has it taken you this long, do you think? And what was it about this story that made you think, you know what, I'm not going to hand this over to another director, I'm going to be the one to see this to the end and direct this myself? Um, well, when I first started, you know, in, in the movie business, um, I'd had sort of a previous career in advertising. Right, okay. And I I was a director in advertising mm-hmm. and a writer. Um, so when I started in Hollywood, I started off as a writer and I had the amazing good fortune to find myself, you know, in collaboration with Steven Soderbergh on mm-hmm. a number of projects. And 
Stephen is such an amazing director mm -hmm. that um, it was sort of a, a bit of an apprenticeship. Mm -hmm. um, so that was part of it. And, and not only that, but the nature of my collaboration with Stephen was always such where I was really given a seat at the table mm. um, that was, you know, was really in, engaged and mm. involved. And that isn't always the case in Hollywood. Sure. A lot of times yeah. writers are just sort of cast away once once they've provided the necessary pages. <laughs> um, and a few years ago, Stephen and I did a movie called Side Effects. And yeah. initially I was going to direct that. Okay. And I tried for many years to get uh, funding and get a cast and get a cast and funding at the mm -hmm. same time. And eventually Stephen said, you know, I really like that script and I want to do a thriller. Mm. And uh, so I, you know, I think if you're any kind of storyteller, your obligation is first and foremost to the story. Mm. So if Steven Soderbergh says he's going to make your movie, you know, the the appropriate answer is yes. <laughs> uh, but when when we were making side effects, Steven said, you really need to find your own movie mm. and, you know, write something for yourself. So when I started on the report, um, I, I kind of felt that this would be that one. And when I finished the script and gave it to him, he said, you're, you know, you're the only person mm. who's really going to understand sort of the, the math of this script. And, you know, you, you should do it yourself. So, um, it, it seemed from fairly on that mm. if this movie was going to ever get made, that I was going to be the person to direct it. So what's the kind of timeline then of the real life events happening and you getting the idea to, to turn it into a screenplay? Cause it's still a fairly recent yeah. event. Um, I think I really became interested in this story around 2013 okay. um, or early 2014 maybe. Um, the report itself came out in 2014 mm. towards the end of the year. And so once the report came out, um, I you know, started using it sort of as a, a source for my research. Mm. And that put me in contact with Dan. I, I called yeah. Senator Feinstein's office and said, may I speak to the lead investigator um, and we had a number of preliminary phone calls mm -hmm. where you know I would ask him questions about about details in the report and obviously Dan can only divulge <laughs> what is unclassified sure, yeah. so you know our conversations were were limited to what was open source reporting mm -hmm. and what was not classified and then eventually Dan and I had a conversation about the story of him trying to tell the story mm. and how arduous that was and, and the intricacies of, of United States government procedure. And it became really interesting to me because it was suddenly more than about just the CIA's program. Mm. It was about the will of... a of a person mm. um, and it was about you know what it means to to continue to fight and things that struck me as being inherently heroic mm. and having a lot of integrity and that that was interesting to me I think that times like these that are so bleak 
um, in terms of how we see our, our government and our leaders mm. to find the story of a guy who really had integrity and did his job and worked you know, through the process um, was inspiring to me. Okay, and how much, when it came to like uh, fully writing the screenplay and making the film, how much access were you given in the end to the kind of more of the top secret stuff? And None. Um, <laughs> no, you're, um, I, have, I, have, I do not have any security okay. clearance. So the only information that I have um, is open source right. reporting okay. and, and, um, and the report itself. There were a lot of people besides Dan who I worked with um, in doing my research. Mm -hmm. you know, Jane Mayer wrote about this for The New Yorker and in the States she's a really revered um, journalist. Um, you know, there was a guy named Alberto Mora who was a lawyer for the Navy during the program. Um, human rights workers who had done investigative work, and a couple of United States senators. Mm. Senator Mark Udall, who was featured in the movie, mm. as is Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, um, were two senators who I spoke to about their experience of being on the committee and also their experience of, of Dan. Mm. So um, another film that you've written that's recently come out is The Laundromat. And I think both the report and The Laundromat, you know, they're both based on real events that are very kind of sort of complicated and dense. And there's a lot of material that isn't necessarily the most sort of um, audience friendly, if that makes sense. And both films have very different ways of kind of getting the audience into the film. Um, can you talk about, so for the report then, the process of there's so much material here. There was so much into this investigation. How do I get this on screen in a clear and accessible way? Yeah, with the report, you know, the the thing that that made it available to me as a as a movie was having a character, mm. you know, and and I thought that the the ride that Dan Jones goes on um, is one that an audience would want to go on. And obviously, when Adam Driver read the script and said he would do that, mm. um, life got a lot easier for me. <laughs> um, but so, you know, I think when you're doing a story like this, you need to experience it from the point of view mm. of a character. Otherwise, it does, yeah. you know, sort of become very challenging for an audience. Um, but I think it becomes relatable. Mm. You know, he goes on a very Kafkaesque ride. <laughs> yeah where you know there just is one obstacle after yeah. another that he has to figure out a way to go through or around um and and that as a storytelling kind of device was something that i understood would work you know reasonably well and then the report itself that dan wrote sort of goes through the story of a number of detainees mm. and so I, I tried to focus on three or four of them that I felt were representative of, you know, the overall program. Mm. Um, so that was kind of the roadmap mm -hmm. for that, um, because Dan Jones was a character that I felt was was inherently heroic. Mm. It spoke to a certain kind of tone. Sure. When I got into the laundromat, <laughs> um, it was a very different kind yeah. of tone because the characters who we follow. Um, these the two principals of a of a firm in Panama named Mossack and Fonseca, who are also real people. Um, you know, they were people who I don't think are inherently heroic, 
Although I, th I think they're complicated mm. and they're people who are created by the system that they work in. I don't think they invented the system. Mm -hmm. I think they're people who just profited from a system that basically exists to service the very, very wealthy. Mm. You know, when I, I actually interviewed both of them okay. early on in the process and I said, so how much money does it take to, you know, have, you know, to make an offshore corporation a worthwhile, you know, creation for you? And they said, you know, if you have $50 million, it's probably something you might want to consider. <laughs> and just the casual way that they said that was really stunning yeah. to me that, you know, we live in a world right now where there is such income inequality. Mm. Um, and, I, and I felt like I wanted to make a movie about that. And, I, you know, I don't want the audience to have to go into the weeds. And so I feel like it's my job to go into the weeds and, you know, wrestle around and find mm. a story and drag one out that they might find entertaining. Yeah. So what was it about Adam Driver then that you felt, this is my dad, this is exactly who I need to sort of lead this film and to to be the audience surrogate in a way. Well, again, Steven Soderbergh was a big help with that. Steven had right. worked with Adam on a movie called Logan Lucky. Of and course, although yeah. there's nothing about the character yeah. that Adam plays in Logan Lucky, that would be suggestive of Dan Jones. Um, actors are, you know, are more than any one role. And Steven said to me that, you know, first of all, I did know that Adam had been a Marine. Yeah. And I felt that, that was important because, you know, in, in the United States Marines, there's a lot of decorum and there's a chain of command, which is in a way like what a Senate staffer in the United States has to mm. deal with. You know, these are sort of the unsung heroes and the helper bees and the people who graduate from college mm. and want to become involved in governance and they go and they're assigned to a senator and they do the research um, for on which policy is made. Um, and so I think Adam understood the everyman sort of worker person in the trenches, you know, notion of a Senate mm. staffer. And, and it, you know, resonated with him the way that it would, you know, a Marine in the field. Mm. Um, also, Adam is so rigorous in his work you know, he's not somebody who merely wants to say the lines. He needs to understand, mm. you know, everything about why that piece of dialogue is written and what this scene is about. And there's a kind of depth to his work that is really reminiscent of the kind of work that Dan did. So, you know, nobody knows what Dan Jones looks like. Mm -hmm. In a sense, he's, you know, an everyman. Mm. Um, and I think Adam has a kind of Jimmy Stewart quality, <laughs> at least in this movie, yeah. of a guy who, you know, who you can relate to, who is just trying to do a good job, yeah. you know. And then um, Annette Benning then as Diane Feinstein. How did that come about? Was she always Diane Feinstein for you? She always was. <laughs> um, that's one of those situations, much like, you know, when we did The Informant years ago, mm -hmm. I always knew that it was going to be Matt Damon yeah. and you know I, I on that one it was a little different because I had spoken to Matt before I even started right. writing um so I had his voice in my head um but 
in this case, I finished the script and I was able to get the script to Diane or to, uh, to Annette's agent. Um, and he passed it on to her and mm -hmm. we had lunch. And as it turned out, she had gone to university in San Francisco mm. and had been aware of, of Diane Feinstein, who was the mayor of San Francisco right. when, um, when Harvey Milk was killed. Right. And when Annette was in university there, and so there was, you know, an awareness of it. But mm. you know, Annette is an, an incredible student of American politics, and so she came to the role with with just, you know, incredible insight mm. into how politics works, and also the fact that you know the senator has a challenge on one hand. You know, she wants to do the right thing. Mm. On the other hand, she's a politician. And if she goes to the to the extent that, you know, we need her to go to mm. in the story, there's a risk for her. Yeah. And that that's where I think the political thriller part of this comes from. And as an actress, you know, Annette is sort of unparalleled and really understood the, both the bones of the political structure, mm. but also the dramatic structure of the script, which was really an incredible gift for me. Yeah. And finally, I just wanted to ask you, do you see the film in a way as kind of a call for action? Yeah, look, I hope, you know, and, and obviously as an American, when you watch the movie, I hope there's some sense of comfort that the system can work. And I think that should be universal. You know, there are obviously great political challenges going on in the UK as well. And so I hope when you see someone with the integrity of Dan Jones, there's some comfort and hope. But I also hope that there's no complacency. And that, you know, we do insist that our leaders um, provide accountability. I think when when accountability stops happening, when transparency stops happening, then we see the problems that we have right now. And the, and the real risk of that is cynicism and that, especially with young people, they look at it and they say, you know, well, obviously it's rigged and everybody's lying and that turns people off. Mm -hmm. And I hope when people see the film, it pisses them off enough to, uh, to want to do something. Yeah, great. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Okay, thank you so much, Scott. Um, so if people have seen the trailer for this, uh, it certainly has a feeling of films like Spotlight, The Post, All the President's Men. Uh, is that fair to say? 
I think yes in the case of Spotlight, but the Post is a much glossier film. I think if you were to consider that to be like an exhibition match, then this is more of like a bare-knuckled boxing underground match. Um, it's, it's much more pared back, it's grittier, it feels a bit dirtier um, and more rigorous, whereas The Post feels like it's really going for gold. Mm. It's it's a scrappier film. As you say, it's, it's a dirtier one. And I think that's because actually even with by the grace of God, a film that we recently spoke about, the actual kind of travesties that are at the the centre of it that are being uncovered mm. and revealed aren't necessarily seen, but the report doesn't shy away from the torture that is that the report is about. Both in the report itself and what it's uncovering, I think you see the torture in what the hours that Dan Jones, Adam Driver's character, spends in that underground um, basement kind of compiling all the documents and going through them. Like, that in itself is torture. But then it doesn't... Yeah, it's not unsanitised, kind of, the, the, the stuff that it does show when it goes back to, kind of, Afghanistan and Iraq and where all these atrocities are happening. And it's also interesting that, like, <clears throat> another film would have been, like, the culmination of the movie would be what they found in the report yet here is you know throughout what what he's uncovering and you kind of are are step by step along with him in the uncovering of what what has happened but it's interesting that uh, a whole another part of this film is Mm. the backlash that he and sort of the senate committee got from the cia themselves on on you know on this massive report that was uh, crucial um Mm. I think yeah. w- with the film being as as wordy as it is, mm. as you say, Sam, um, something that I think Zed Burns as a writer is really focused on is structure as a way to keep the energy up and to keep mm. audiences engaged with it. Because maybe if you did play this out as it happened, mm. you're kind of just going to get lulled into uh, some kind of hypnosis with just the reading and doing of paperwork. Yeah, I think the thing with... Um comparing it to like the post as you say the post is very yeah look at all the post is very much like look at all these lively characters look at uh how fun or kind of exuberant seven the 70s newspaper scene was whereas this is very much like it's very cold it's very much this is sort of one man who's been has a he has a job to do and he's very good at that job and he's uh he's doing this job for the right reasons and he gets straight to the point and i think the first sort of 10 15 minutes are very much like this happened then, skip forward a year. This happened then, skip forward a year. And then I think it takes time to kind of be like, to sit you down in the kind of the main bulk of what's going on with these other flashbacks to give you more context. But it, it does have a real pace to it. Mm. And Burns, like, he says that this is a story about heroism. Yeah, he said that... This is the real theme park. <laughs> <laughs> he said, yeah, in the interview that you've just heard, he says about, he wanted to tell a story about this kind of real hero, about someone... And I think, again, this is an, another way that it nicely compares to All the President's Men and The Post and By the Grace of God in a way that you've got people that are just very good at their jobs and who are really so focused on doing the right thing. They're not like they're not saving the world in the way we expect heroes in film to do. This is very much this is how with the tools at his hand in, in the real world, this is how heroes work. And I think he was he's really sort of in awe of Dan Jones, the uh, the real-life figure. Mm, yeah. Um, well, let's let's talk about the man playing Dan Jones, mm. um, because you mentioned that you you, you, you speak in the interview about why, like, why Adam Driver? I mean, really, if someone says, how about Adam Driver? 
you would say. Yes, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This is the second in our winter, what is now quadrilogy of Adam Driver films. We've had Marriage Story, we've got The Report, we'll have Star Wars, and just announced we're going to have Don Quixote finally Mm. in January as well. Uh, What are we getting from this driver that maybe we don't get from the other drivers? Nicole? I think we're getting something quite similar, but just channeled or refracted through a different light. So if you think about what we associate with Adam Driver, it's it's quirky, it's it's intense. And I think this character is both of those things. Like if you think about the fact that Dan Jones had to commit himself to six, seven years doing this task without ever knowing if what he was working towards was going to see the light, that takes quite a lot of commitment. Not a lot of people would commit themselves to that so you need someone that is quite unusual in that respect and I think although you know he's got the suit and the 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 shorter haircut I think Driver channels that sort of intensity particularly later in the film when he's then fighting to Mm. want to get it published you kind of see that real um that force of nature come through he's not you know he's not quiet he's not dour he's actually very charismatic I think that's true of Dan Jones himself there was Mm. a interview in the times um and he was described as like wry and articulate and actually very funny and i think you get all those kind of traits with driver as well Mm, i just think this of those four for me this is the least showy of those performances you know in marriage story he's he's very lively he has he has a musical number there's some capital a yeah he's acting acting with a capital a and then obviously star wars he's uh a very uh, wide range mm. in his performance novels, and I'm sure he has the same in the, the Terry Gilliam film. And here, he's he's it's the only performance that is a real, real person. He's far more grounded than I think I've seen Adam Driver before. But I think that works for the character, someone who's so focused on this one mission. And even though, as we've said, this is a very dense film, he's got to convey a lot of information and a lot of just pure details in his dialogue. He's such a compelling actor that you're more than happy to sit there and watch him and listen to him spew all this uh, yeah. data to you. And part of the joy is being able to see him spar against other people as well. Yeah. Um, like there's a great Annette Benning in this one. For yeah, instance. she's really, really good in this. Um, and you and, and their scenes in particular are some of the best in the film um, because you can. It's 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 with her as sort of a sounding board that his passion comes out. Um, and those are the scenes that grip you as a as a viewer, I think. Yeah, uh, and it's a great supporting cast here. We've got um, Corey Stoll, John Hamm. Yeah, uh, Michael C. Hall. Yeah, and... Ted Levine. Matthew Reese reprising his yeah. role from, from the post. <laughs> the same character. Uh, it is not the same character, but <laughs> similar role. Um, he does it well, though. Does it very well, yeah. Matthew Reese loves starting conspiracies. <laughs> um, all right, and that, that is the report, which is in cinemas and is going to be available on demand very soon as well. But we must move on to our second film, uh, which is the amazing, the amazing Jonathan documentary. Um, And this one is about the amazing Jonathan, who I was not aware of, a guy called uh, John Edward Zellis, uh, who built a career as a magician, uh, kind of shock and deception in the 80s. Uh, He's diagnosed with a terminal heart condition, given one year to live. He's made to retire his act. This is a few years ago. Um, But we cut to three years later. He's not dead. Everyone's amazed. And documentarian Ben Berman films perhaps The Illusionist's Greatest Trick, an epic comeback tour that careers off the rails in extremely entertaining and unexpected ways. Now, I first heard about this film when uh, a couple of months ago... It was announced that Louis Theroux was going to be hosting the live satellite event premiere of it into cinemas. Um, And I thought, 
uh, I want to know about that because Louis Theroux is going to attach himself to something maybe that's a bit quirky uh, and a bit strange and a bit self-reflexive maybe. Um, and I was so pleased uh, because I really think this is like maybe my favourite documentary of the year. I think this is absolutely brilliant. Tough one to talk about on the podcast because so much of the joy of it comes from the reviewers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we won't go too much. Um, but how do we feel about this one around the table? Yeah, really good. Really good one. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I watched it knowing very little. Um, and as you say, it's it's interesting that the the uh, initial idea for this documentary was just to look at a magician's comeback, which does not interest me in the slightest. <laughs> and the uh, the resulting film is way beyond that without giving anything away. And I was... I was just as sort of shocked and surprised and enthralled by it as any other sort of twisty, turny mystery film. Mm. But I think that's because it's not a like it is about a magician's comeback, but it's also about the comeback story mm. in general and what that is and what that means. Almost like um, Lisa Kudrow is the comeback. Mm. Similarities there. Yeah. Um, as I mentioned in the synopsis, I, I've never heard of this guy at mm. all um, until this documentary came about, and the first 20 minutes or so is kind of just setting us up. It's giving us this truncated history of this magician. Um, and that is the documentary that Ben Berman set out to make was this, this profile of this comeback. And you can clearly see that he's talented. Uh, he's got a dark sense of humor and maybe that's where the laughs are going to come from on this journey. Um, but I think Louis through is maybe attached here in that host capacity because of the parallels that could be drawn to my Scientology movie that he made a few years back in that it enters this world of self-reflection about filmmaking and documentary and truth on camera mm. and just how valuable or truthful any of those things can actually be. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, it's interesting to see that this is his sort of, it's his first film, I think. His yeah, first, I mean, Ber Berman's uh, prior to this is like sketch comedy stuff. Mm. Yeah. Tim, Tim and Eric, workaholics, comedy, bang, bang. Yeah, That's yeah, where yeah. he's attached to. Exactly. Yeah, so it's interesting that he chose to make a documentary and he made, he, he, he the way that he plays with those conventions is very interesting. Um, and he very much inserts himself into this film as a character. Um, and... Yeah, it 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 goes on a completely different path than the one that you're thinking. Yeah, it's going to go on. Well, the film becomes more and more about Berman's struggle to make the film, um, and how he can approach a guy who, right down to his career and everything surrounding that, is all about deception. Mm. How do you like ethically approach that? You know, mm. like what what are the questions you can ask? How do you what can if you if you can't trust him, how do you deal with that kind yeah. of thing? And you see his he tries to approach with rationality to a situation that is just becoming more and more absurd to the point where the film actually reveals a point where he's considering smoking meth <laughs> on camera <laughs> because of the weird narrative yeah. that he and Jonathan have twisted themselves into. Um and along the way, there are just there is just kind of shock after shock, not in a, not in a gruesome way or anything like that. But you you cannot expect it to go in the places that it does. It's this amazing Russian doll of storytelling. Uh, it the talking heads are also funny. <laughs> yeah, because people <laughs> pop up like, like Eric they, Andre pops up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they interact top. with him in weird ways as well. It's just like, wait, when did you what? what? <laughs> um, and I can I can see 
people that enjoyed Tickled, uh, the doc from a few years ago, really enjoying this one. And I think this would be a great one to see with a crowd because it would be this great feeling, like shock and comedy uh, emanating from it because I wasn't lucky enough to see it like that. And I think I might have to go back and do it like that because it's such a fun, bewildering film. Um, that, yeah, I'm really excited about mm. people seeing. Um, perhaps Three Identical Strangers might be one. Uh, yeah, it's kind of like investigative documentaries that have lots of surprises in store. Mm, all right. Um, also, sorry. Also, just a, like a playful acknowledgement of the process. I think mm. a lot of people think that, like documentaries like film are in the can, but like they're not. Un- the stories aren't unraveling at the same time as mm. shooting happens. And I think it benefits documentary to acknowledge that from the start. Yeah. Um. And the the really this film took a long time to make. Like we go over a, a long stretch of a few years mm. over the course of this one. Um. But talking about great documentaries, Sam, what's happening on Curzon Home Cinema? So you can watch The Amazing Jonathan on Curzonheim Cinema from Friday the 22nd of November. Uh, before then, you can catch up with Diego Maradona. So that's Asif Kapadia's film about perhaps the one of the greatest footballers of all time and his tumultuous uh, career, specifically looking at his time in Napoli. Uh, and if you uh, venture back a few months ago when the film came out, we had Asif Kapadia on the podcast. Mm. And um, I forgot to mention that that Louis Theroux Q&A for the Amazing Jonathan documentary. That's happening on the 19th, uh, if you want to check that one out. Uh, talking of Q&As, Kelly, up on the event schedule, we got a couple more new additions that are pretty exciting. Yeah, we do. There's a Q&A with Josh O'Connor for Only You at Cousin Bloomsbury uh, on Thursday the 21st. So head to com slash events to get your tickets there. Yeah. Uh, that's the only thing that Josh O'Connor's in at the moment that anyone's talking about. Uh, that's the no, cra- he's in The Crown. What? <laughs> um, all right. Yeah, so do go and check that one out. And if you haven't seen Only You, a uh, great opportunity to check it out uh, ahead of a couple of Biffa nominations that it's just mm. received as well. Um, but if you've got any thoughts on the report or the amazing Jonathan documentary, you can let us know by tweeting us at Curzon Cinemas or all of us directly. I'm there as Jake H. Cunningham. Sam, you are there as... At Sam Howlett underscore one. And Kelly? KS underscore Powell. And Nicole, where can people find you and a bit more about Best Girl Grip? Uh, they can find me at Stone Cold Fox. That's Stone with an E, Cold with an E, and Fox with an X. Um, and Best Girl Grip, yeah. Funnily that you should mention Only You. I've got an interview uh, from a while back with the writer-director of that film, Harry Woodliff. Mm. Um, also, lots of Biffa-nominated talent on there. Producer Emma Duffy, who uh, did Mari. Uh, but currently happening at the moment are all the uh, podcast episodes I recorded at the Toronto International Film Festival. Uh, so filmmakers, but also uh, head of development at the games company Ubisoft. Yeah, actually, because we've done a few interviews with programmers on this show, um, and I've forgotten it. It's like Dolotto. Uh, Dorotelek, who did yep. uh, the uh, uh, Discovery program, so first-time filmmakers at TIFF, and coming up is the Shorts programmer, who is also an academic, and she's done lots of stuff about horror, uh, zombie, and East Asian cinema. Mm, so right. check that out. Absolutely. Um, I've just got the name Best Girl Grip, by the way. Ah, just clicked to my head. Just got yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really that's a very funny. Uh, and it's on yeah. iTunes, Spotify, and Acast. Uh, as are we. Uh, so do subscribe if you've enjoyed the show. Um, but that's about it. Thank you so much for joining us. Bye-bye.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.